3: Welcome to Beyond Black History Month. This is a hip-hop made takeover. Hip-hop made. I'm your host, Femi Redwood. If you're a regular Beyond listener, this is a special series celebrating 50 years of hip-hop. I'm collabing with Odyssey, the company that produces this podcast and owns a ton of radio stations. Odyssey Station.
0: Station. Station. Station.
3: All year, I'll be dropping these Beyond Hip Hop collabs in this feed. And it makes sense because Beyond Black History Month celebrates all things black, and Hip Hop Made is a celebration of black artistry. (laughs) So this is my love letter to hip-hop, and I have lots of voices to help, from trailblazers.
1: I was 12 years old in 1975 when I created The Scratch.
3: To the people who brought hip-hop to our screens.
4: Here's your host for tonight, Dr. Dre and Ed Lover from Yarn TV
3: Raps. And the artists whose songs we still remember, word by word, decades later.
0: i DMC, and the place to be, I go to St. John's University.
3: Hip-hop is a global, multi-billion dollar business. Go to Russia and you'll find a whole rap industry. And K-pop is just New Jack Swing repackaged. Hip-hop is an expression of politics, identities, and emotions.
4: Hip-hop makes me feel good.
3: Hip-hop can put
4: you in any mood that it wants to put you in. It can put you in a dark mood. It can put you in a mood where you wanna mosh pit dance, like when you hear Annie up. It can put you in a mood where you wanna get revenge on somebody that you had a fight with in the third grade. It can put you in a very happy mood and make you wanna dance when you hear Rollin' With Kid and Play.
3: Born in the Bronx.
5: Cool Hurt had a sound.
3: Hip-hop grew out of block parties and spoke to communities who were ignored by the government. The music told those stories. <laughs> It was basically an urban newscast. And maybe that's one reason why I connect to it as a journalist. Because you have to remember, there was a point in time when media outlets were not covering black neighborhoods fairly. That's why in 1988, Public Enemy's Chuck D told Spin Magazine, Rap is black America's TV station.
0: Hip-hop basically for me was like, oh shoot, you can tell stories about who you are over music.
3: To understand the birth of hip-hop, let's start in the 60s. Soul music was the sound of the 60s, but civil rights was the voice of that era.
1: Not only are we denied the right to be a citizen in the United States, we're denied the right to be a human being.
3: Leaders in the Black Power movement emphasized racial pride. This includes spoken word artists who paired jazz with protest poetry, like The Last Poets.
2: They lied and we cried and we tried to question why. For thousands of years they built upon a lie. From rock and roll right to the pyramids, they could never give us credit for the great things we did. They lied. My name is R.B. Odun Oyewole, and I'm one of the founding members of The Last Poets. My name is David Nelson, and I'm very pleased to have walked on the stage on May 19th, 1968.
3: Their first performance was 55 years ago in Harlem. Their guiding lights, Black Pride and Revolution.
2: We brought on an attitude that would make people think more about how we could best liberate ourselves without bloodshed.
3: They also brought on a blueprint for what would become hip-hop.
2: When we're called the godfathers of hip-hop or the progenitors of hip-hop, I take that with a grain of salt because the truth is that rapping over some rhythmic instrumentation, I'm sure that it was taking place in Africa a long time ago because it seems to be a natural flow of things. We had the djembe, that was the big, big mouth drum, the big mama drum. And there were people who were probably sending messages vocally along with the rhythmic patterns behind the message. And the hip-hop world was actually trying to model themselves after that, too, except that they used the heavy bass beat, which is really the heartbeat, And they just blew it up. They made it loud. And uh, they said words over the top.
3: There's a connectivity in all of this, but David makes it clear.
2: It's undoubtable to me that the last poets are the first rappers
3: just listen to one of their poems.
2: I'm the father of the rappers, and I come to say you have to learn to rap in a certain way. You can't be all boogie, can't be all play. You got to check out the scene and have something to say. You need to use lively colors, not commercialized gray, and educate the people to a brand new day. Because I was rapping before you were born, and I'll be rapping after you're gone.
3: See what I mean? People who've been in the game for a hot minute definitely draw a line between the last poets and hip-hop.
4: Sometimes I go back and look at that episode, I'm like, look, I was like on the verge of them killing me.
3: <laughs> I'm gonna go back and look for that episode. They right are YouTube. not
4: happy with Baskin <laughs> Wu.
3: That's Ed Lover, former host of Yo! MTV Raps, current host at 94.7 The Block in New York City.
4: You know, my uncle's coming over to my house and bringing their records and and me hearing Pigmeat Markham.
3: Pigmeat Markham was a comedian. In 1968, he released the song Here Comes a Judge. It sounds kind of like rap.
4: Another one of my uncle was really like pro-black radical type of dude and him bringing the last poets over. So I guess that was like the really like the first introduction into what would become hip hop. That rapping style. If you go back and listen to Here Comes the Judge by Pygmy Markham, he was rapping then, but they just didn't they didn't call it rap. What the last poets were doing was leading up to rap.
3: The last poets released their album in 1970. By this point, neighborhoods were dealing with major changes. This was especially true for the South Bronx. White flight, the construction of a highway that cut through the community, increases in crime, including arson. Landlords sold their buildings to real estate speculators. Those investors weren't getting the returns they expected, so instead of taking care of their properties, they set their buildings on fire to collect insurance money. According to the documentary, Decade of Fire, in the 70s, the South Bronx lost 80% of its housing to fires, 80%. Sometimes firefighters showed up, sometimes they didn't. Newspapers called the South Bronx gutted ruins. Those same papers blamed the renters, but nope, it was landlords. According to the nonprofit BronxRiver.org, the insurance payout during the 70s was the equivalent of $50 million today. Politicians turned their backs on black and Latino neighborhoods. Landlords got richer and the people who lived there suffered. But there was still joy.
5: You worked hard for the Friday, 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 Friday.
3: That's Rich Nice. He's a producer. He also helped get the Universal Hip Hop Museum off the ground in the Bronx. Think of him as your hip hop historian.
5: When the Friday came, you wanted to forget about the week. You wanted to forget about the fires.
3: Enter neighborhood block parties.
5: These parties were gatherings of people to release the pain and the frustration of what was going on at the time.
3: If you've ever been to Brooklyn's West Indian Day Parade or any carnival, you know massive sound speakers are part of Caribbean culture. That's what Clive Campbell was used to when he immigrated to the Bronx from Jamaica in 1967. He was also used to an eclectic music selection. His father listened to everything from Nat King Cole to Ella Fitzgerald. Clive's friends in Jamaica called him cool, and kids in the Bronx called him Hercules, which he did not like. So he told people to start calling him Cool Herc. His family's first home in the Bronx burned down. So, they moved to 1520 Sedgwick Avenue. According to an interview he gave to Red Bull Music Academy, this is when he started going to parties. Disco music was really big at the time, but Herc was more into funk, like the godfather of soul, James Brown. He was also really observant. Herc noticed a few things when he went to parties. One, most DJs were only using one turntable, so they would play a record, it would stop, and then there would be no music while the DJ put on another record. This brought the energy on the dance floor to a screeching halt. He also noticed that partygoers loved the breaks of a song. The breaks, or the breakdown, is the part of the song where the singing stops but the instrumentals continue. Take a James Brown song, for example. He might say, get down for the breakdown. And the instrumentals would take off. That was the breaks. Some people would only dance during the breaks. Herc had the idea to extend the breaks. He could do this by playing two copies of the same record on two turntables. This meant no pauses in the music and much longer breaks. He called this the merry-go-round. He practiced this at home, because remember, his dad loved music, so he had turntables. Now enter hip-hop's first party promoter, his younger sister, Cindy. She wanted money to buy school clothes, so she had the idea to throw a back-to-school party. She asked Herc to DJ it. She rented the recreation room in their apartment for $25. Cindy charged boys 50 cents to get in, girls 25 cents. And on August 11th, 1973, Cindy and Herc threw a party that would change history. His merry-go-round technique became the foundation of hip hop music. And at that point, DJ Cool Herc was considered the founding father of hip hop. Rich wasn't at that party. But the next year, he moved to Herc's neighborhood. They met while Herc was setting up for one of his park jams.
5: We're going to Roberto Clemente State Park. It's this fantastic park. It had just recently opened, and they had this amazing, giant, gorgeous pool, and they had indoor basketball court for the bronx at this time this was like heaven for kids because we're accustomed to playing in junkyards or you know places that got a lot of glass a lot of broken bottles
3: as they're walking past cedar park they see a light pole that's gutted with wires hanging out
5: we hear this guy screaming through the gate yo 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 plug that in and everyone's looking like <laughs> You must be crazy. Ain't nobody (laughs) plugging. So my one friend, he grabs it and he act like he's going to plug it in, but he doesn't. And he like trembles like he's getting electrocuted. (laughs) And we all start laughing. "Ah, ah, ah, You stupid, you stupid. Ah, ah, ah." And then he's like, plug it in, plug it in. I don't know what tempted me or what made me do it, but I just was like, you know what? I'm going to plug it in. And I grab it and I plug it in. And then all of a sudden we hear, boom, 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 we're hearing loud music. And, and we all just ran to the gate and grabbed the gate and we're looking through the gate now in amazement, like astonished.
3: Remember, most people outside the Caribbean never heard music that loud before. Herc using massive speakers at a block party was new.
5: I had never heard James Brown that loud before. It was like, yo, this is crazy. Like, what is, what, like, what's going on here? And we really had no clue. He starts to play the music and then he starts to cut the records. And we're just like, oh, look what he did, And It's just, it, it was almost like he was doing magic. That was the talk of the block for like the whole weekend. We went back to the pool another day and sure enough, he was out there setting up again. Now I'm asking, let me plug it in. Now Everyone wants to plug it in. Let me plug it in. Let me plug it in. And he's like, no, 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 no. He said, let him plug it in. Because I was the one who plugged it in. And so I plug it in again. And that kind of, in my mind, that was my job. I'm the guy who plugs it in. That's what I, I'm the plug, I'm down with the crew. I plug it in.
3: Perk is about 19 at this point. Rich is much younger. But like many, he wanted to hear this new music again. And he heard the nighttime park jams were even better.
5: I make the little bunk with the little pillow body in it and I'm down the fire escape. you could hear the music echoing off the buildings from like far away. So when you're first walking, you don't hear anything. You just hear the highway. You hear the <laughs> cars going by. And then you start to get a little closer. You start to hear <laughs> that you get closer. <laughs> and you're like, yo, you hear it? You hear it? And we all just start running at top speed toward the music because we're so excited because we have never been around this energy before but it was pandemonium in every good sense of the word
3: plug it in kid found himself behind the ropes this was a big deal
5: being behind the ropes at this time is equivalent to being backstage at a concert so if you're behind the ropes you have Clout, you have juice. You're down with the crew. If it got too crowded, then they pick up the mic. If you're not down with the set, get from behind the ropes. If you're not down with the set, get from behind the ropes.
3: He went to these parties all summer long, hoping to not get caught because that could have been embarrassing.
5: Part of the DJ microphone culture, as far as like the MCs would go, you know, you'd have somebody's mother come into the park looking for them and they go to the DJ, say, "Announce on the microphone and go, Jackie, Jackie, come to the DJ, your mother's looking for you. For you, for you, for you. At this time, it wasn't even called hip hop. It's just called rocking or jamming in the park. They were doing it for free. They wasn't getting paid to do this.
3: DJs began replicating what Herc was doing, but adding their own style. Check it out! Like Grandmaster Flash. He was the first DJ to use fingertips on vinyl, moving the records backwards, forward, and counterclockwise. He also invented what's called quick mix theory. It basically allows him to repeat the same part of a record in an endless loop. Grandmaster Flash had a partner, Mean Gene Livingston, and Mean Gene's little brother was Theodore Livingston, a.k.a. Grand Wizard Theodore. That's with two Z's. And he invented... Scratching. Born in Harlem, raised in the Bronx, he was their apprentice.
1: They basically took me to a lot of places that the average person my age wasn't able to go
3: all right before we go further i gotta know why is your brother's name mean gene
1: (laughs) because that's what he was he was mean when he left the house it was like don't touch my turntables don't do this don't do that i remember flash asked my brother gene like hey you know your brother knows how to dj why don't we put him down with us and let him do a little bit of dj my brother gene was like no
3: Well, that certainly explains that, but he would watch and learn. I didn't want to be like them. I didn't want to
1: emulate them. And DJing was evolving every single day. And I said to myself, if I want to be recognized, I have to make sure that my style is my style and not anybody else's style. And being that I had this gift that God gave me every single day that went by. My skills were getting better and better and better.
3: The first thing he invented was the needle drop. Needle dropping is a style where you pick the
1: needle up and drop it back on a record, and the record actually sounds like it's looping. It sounds like this. Oh
3: he next discovered scratching in 1975.
1: I was 12 years old. My principal played music in the uh, lunchroom in the loudspeakers and people got tired of listening to the music that he was playing. Being that they knew I was a DJ, an upcoming DJ, a friend of mine convinced my principal to let me make a cassette tape. So I went home, took the boom box, put it in front of the speaker, pressed record, started making my cassette tape. And I got the kind of mother where she doesn't raise her voice. She doesn't argue. She doesn't fuss. She just starts swinging like Mike Tyson. That's my mom's. Dishes not done. You know, people in the house when she's not home? That's my mom's. So I'm in the house, I'm grooving, and the music was so loud, my moms had to come into the room and tell me, either cut the music down or cut the music off. Now I'm making a cassette tape and I couldn't really stop the cassette tape. The record that I was playing was getting ready to end. So it was time for me to play the next record. So I pulled the music down, did a baby scratch, (laughs) moms left the room, finished my cassette tape, started listening to it. And when it got to the part where my moms came in the room, I can hear myself baby scratching, (laughs) pushing the record back and forth and forth and back. And I was like, "Mm, I can use that and make that part of my DJ routine. So
3: he did. At this point, Mean Gene and Grandmaster Flash were splitting up. I actually sat there
1: and And watch them, like, hey, this is your turntable, this is my turntable, this is your record, this is my record.
3: Flash formed his own group, which we'll talk about in another episode. And Mean Gene, Theodore, and their other brother started their own group, called the L Brothers. And Theodore flexed his new scratching technique at 63 Park. When the
1: B-boys, the B-girls, the graffiti artists, everybody in the area, it was basically electrified. Hearing your favorite record, but you hear certain parts of the record being scratched by me for me to be standing on a milk crate and I'm standing there needle dropping and scratching and stuff like that. So it was, it was really crazy. I could see the look on other DJs faces like, what is this guy doing? It's like he's evolving as a DJ and it's like he has a style that no one else has.
3: So where was Grand Wizard Theodore, DJ Kool Herc and the other DJs getting their equipment? Kind of everywhere. Equipment wasn't bundled in a kit back then. DJs created their own kits and even built their own speakers.
5: This is pro equipment. And a lot of the people that were DJing, they weren't pros. They were experimenting and figuring it out. They were in the scientist mode and building and opening up the back of equipment and seeing how what makes it tink and and what makes it work. Grandmaster Flash is infamous for opening up equipment and taking it apart and seeing what makes it tick and how it works. And I think he doesn't get as much credit as he should as a hip-hop scientist in the early days. Mixer DST, Jazzy J, these guys built speakers. They didn't have money to go and buy the giant speakers. They would build the speakers.
3: Plus, stores didn't sell the sizes they needed, some as high as 10 feet tall.
5: Because at that time, it was about having big speakers. Your sound system had to be massive because you wanted to rock the park. You didn't want to be outside. And it's like, well, we can't really hear you walls of speaker sound systems that's part of the caribbean influence on on hip-hop a lot of the foundational creators and way makers i would say from the authentic hip-hop days have caribbean background
3: he says that played a huge part in developing the culture
5: it had to happen in the bronx because i don't think hip-hop would have manifested itself the same way in the caribbean because the influences weren't there but with the background of the caribbean and the knowledge of the caribbean and bringing that sound system mentality that you saw growing up and bringing that toasting and dubbing mentality that you learned growing up you know combined with the american fusion of beats and 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 funky stuff and the rock and roll you know people always leave out the rock and roll you can't leave out the rock and roll rock and roll is a very huge part of hip-hop
3: Remember, hip-hop albums didn't exist yet, so DJs mixed a bunch of things. Rock and roll, funk, exploratory.
5: A lot of the beats that people played weren't straightforward records. Some of them were from soundtracks of movies, of B-movies, not even A-level blockbuster movies. You know, I'm talking about movies that would play at these little small mom and pop theaters throughout the Bronx that you'd be like, yo, I'm going to see The Creature with Two Heads. And in The Creature with Two Heads, you'd
1: hear bongo rock. And you're like, that's an ill beat. They had this place 42nd Street called Downstairs Records, right downstairs in the train station.
3: Herc also went there.
1: There's a guy on the side with a little record shop. He's sitting there playing 45s all day Long, so when he's sitting there playing 45s, you hear a good 45, you be like, Yo, I need two copies of that. And sometimes you go inside the store, and if you see a James Brown record, you don't care what you're going to pick the James Brown record up. You see a Sliding Family Stones record, you don't care what's on it, you're going to pick it up and you're going to take it home. Running see did and create the whole rock rap thing Cool Herc, Grandmaster Flash,
0: Africa Band by the Grand Wizard. When you came to a block party or a park party. And they had crates of records. In those crates were all the disco records people threw away once they started saying disco sucks. Yo, we could use those bass songs. Give them to us. In those crates was jazz, was funk, R&B, and of course, Parliament for Gadella. But people don't realize in the crates was a bunch of rock records. Kiss, Aerosmith, Van Halen.
3: DJs combined everything. Hip-hop is
5: everything from Bangra to opera, as long as it had a beat. You know, it was never about black music per se, it was just about good music. That's all that mattered. It didn't matter if it was made by a white band or a British band or a Latin band or a black band. If it had a beat and it was funky, it got played. DJs would cover their records so that no one would know what record they was playing so that no one couldn't go get the record and play it at their party. What made a DJ special is You would have to go to a cool Herc party to hear Apache. You would have to go to a cool Herc party to hear the Mexican, because those are records that he found, and he wouldn't let no one know what it was, and he would play it, and you would go, man, you know, this this is crazy.
3: So how did MCs get into the picture, especially considering DJs were the main attraction? DJs needed a master of ceremonies, a.k.a. an MC.
5: Where people would get on the mic and say things because Herc had this echo chamber. And this echo chamber, would you would just say, yeah, yeah, one, two, 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 one, two, 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 cool, Herc, Herc, and the B-Boys, boys, rock on, on, on. And that would just stick in your brain the whole time you'd be in school you'd just be hearing rock on 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 be boys 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 rock on 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 and you're just like i just wanted a microphone so i could do that i would tell my daddy the microphone blah blah, and we get a microphone in the house and you would think i'm going to do a whole lot on this microphone all i would go is be boys 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 rock on 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 and my sister would go that's it and i'll go what i did it what do you mean
3: I, I did it. But did he, though? Initially, MCs made announcements, things like, so-and-so, your mom is looking for you. They would also stop arguments. In the next step, MCs started doing a call and response.
5: Shout to guys like Keith Cowboy, shout to guys like Lovebug Starsky.
3: He says the next evolution was really big. People started doing melodies and being creative making their own rhymes and changing popular songs.
5: And commanding the crowd and being able to be in control. And because what happens a lot of times is when that music stop, a fight gonna break out. So you got to keep the music going. No, you got a, a park full of kids that got a lot of energy. That sonic youth is there. So that music stops. Hey! Somebody got to get my mic. Yo, 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 yo. What's up, what's up, what's up? What's going on? Whoa, yo, who's in the house tonight? Who's in the house? Whoa, whoa, whoa. yeah. If you got on clean underwear, somebody say, yeah. And they would say, yeah. You know, or if you, you know, if you got more than a dollar in your pocket, let me hear you say, hell yeah. Hell yeah. You know, whatever it was. Or if you find and you know it, somebody say, that's right. And you say, that's right. Whatever they had to say to stop them from going, We about to tear this park apart because the music is ain't playing. And then maybe a speaker might have blew or a wire came out or someone kicked the plug out. That was very common. Someone would kick the plug out by accident. And then you had to plug the plug back in. And then everything start up again. And then the beat start and everybody go back to doing it. And you would have never thought anything happened. So that was a very important part of the MC as well. When they say master of ceremony, Sincerely the master of ceremony, controlling the crowd, making sure that things didn't get out of control.
3: It could go left at
5: any moment. Like something could happen in the crowd. If somebody start running, grab the microphone. Yo, 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 don't run, don't run, don't run. Everything is okay, It's nothing wrong over there. Somebody just had a little fight. It's a fight, it's a fight. Come on, everybody, you fight every day. It's a little fight, they cool, they cool. Just be easy, just relax, be chill, be chill, calm down. We ain't here for the fighting, we here for the music. Calm down, y'all. Like music, okay? We're gonna get some music in a minute.
3: This evolved into MCs putting stories together over music and freestyling. The last poets, Abiodun, had a full circle experience with this.
2: The first time I got exposed to hip hop, I was upstairs in my apartment, and there were some kids downstairs in the park rapping, and I heard them, and I, I was curious as to what they were saying, what they were doing. And I went downstairs, and I listened. A couple of lines from my poem was in this kid's rap. And I, I told my wife at the time, I said, this is crazy. I said, I just heard a kid actually rapping and using a line that I would written in New York, New York, the Big Apple. It was just their way of, I guess, socializing with each other. But that was the first time I would ever really got a witness. <laughs>
3: His experience with hip-hop grew even more when he did a song with Melly Mel. Mel Melly Mel was in the group that Grandmaster Flash formed, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five.
5: Cowboy, Kid Creole, and his brother Melly Mel, who, in my personal opinion, are the three kings of MCs. People can say what they want. They can say somebody else was, you know, they can say Pigmeat Markham, they can say anybody they want to say, it's all good. But those three guys, to me, are the cornerstone of emceeing and, and how it's done properly and correctly toward the culture. Cowboy was probably the master of call and response and communicating with the women in the crowd. He just knew how to talk to the crowd. Uh, Kid Creole and that echo chamber, if anyone ever could get their hands on a tape of Kid Creole on that echo chamber, it was like none other. It was magical. And then, I call it the superhero voice with that big, giant, commanding voice that could just rock the party. Was Melly
1: Mel.
3: Everyone didn't hear DJs like Cool Herc or MCs like Melly Mel at the same time. Two things to remember: number one, there were no recorded albums yet, and number two, Rich says you experienced hip hop depending on where you lived.
5: Because most people, specifically if you were young you weren't able to just pick up and go. You know, it's not like now where you can jump in an Uber or you can get on the bus and the train. Back then, a train ride from one side of the Bronx to the other side of the Bronx was like traveling across Beirut. It was like you're traveling across a war zone, but it's also not just the distance, but it's also the neighborhoods you have to walk through. So if you're walking through a neighborhood that you don't know someone, and then somebody's on a stick up kid vibe, you could have an issue.
3: Rich says hip hop spread to Harlem and Mount Vernon, then went to Brooklyn and Queens. That's where Daryl first heard it.
0: It was crazy to hear these boys and girls in the Bronx when the Bronx was burning and also how good they were on the mic. It blew me away. When everybody in Queens started doing a hip hop thing, there was also an explosion of tapes, live tapes of Grandmaster Flash and Grand Wizard Theodore. The way I
4: heard the music that was taking over the Bronx and the hip hop that was going on was tapes. You know, I still had family members that lived up there that had those tapes. And you would get those tapes and you would hear them and you'd be like well who's this guy well that's T.J. hollywood and you'd be like well can i get a copy of that and then you know you would copy it and you would have that and who's this guy oh that's you know that's um busy b you know what i mean you'd be like oh wow he's dialed at the ball the dang and that and you would want to have that because nobody else in your neighborhood had it
5: i remember going to visit family in brooklyn during Labor Day, and I would go out with a tape of hip hop, and I would play the tape, and they would go, "What the hell is that?" And I was like, "This is what they're doing uptown. This is a park jam, park jam, park jam. What are you talking about, park jam? Yeah, we'd be in the park, and they play this. They play music in the park. As a band? No, it's not a band. We're talking about this. A, two turntables and a microphone. And they're like, "What are you talking about?"
3: But once it caught on, everybody wanted one of those taped shows. Sometimes you get a tape of a tape of a tape of a tape. And it didn't matter how
5: nasty that copy was, you still had you a piece. Cause you couldn't buy it in the
3: store. Couldn't hear it on the radio. Those copies are how they spread across the country.
5: You'd have people in the military who would go to the military and leave New York and take some tapes with them. And then you go to, to the Carolinas where your boot camp is at and you playing your tape. And here comes Billy Bob who ain't never heard hip hop before? And Billy Bob said, "Hey man, what that you playing there? Man, that thing sound kind of cool." And it's like, "Oh, this is hip hop from New York." Hey man, I like that. Give me a copy of that. And now Billy Bob is going to wherever Billy Bob is going in the world, and he's taking that tape with him. And now hip hop is moving and it's starting to to transfer. and and move around the
3: planet. As it moved, it became harder and harder to trace, which is likely why one person says, I'm the first person to do something and someone else says, no, I was. Hip hop was
5: like glitter. And once you went to the party and someone threw the glitter in the air, you left with it. And it's like, cause you know what it is, if it's 15 of us and one person got on glitter, how many people got on glitter? All 15. And that's what hip-hop was. If one person had hip-hop and went around 15 people, at the end of that night, everybody left with a piece of hip-hop.
3: And 50 years later, the glitter of hip-hop is still here. It's worth noting, there are some DJs and MCs from the 60s and 70s who say another DJ predates Herc. But Rich says it's not about who was just spinning a record.
5: It's how he played it, and it's when he played it, and it's what part of the record he played consistently over and over that created what we call the culture of hip-hop. And a lot of the guys that had those records that... Didn't care about hip-hop at the time, but then as it became popular, later on realized, oh, this is a thing, and then would start playing in the hip-hop style. But then they would say, but I was DJing before her, And it's like, yeah, you was, but you didn't start playing hip-hop till after her. When you talk about the culture of what we do, it starts there.
3: And Daryl says all those starts need to be recognized.
5: The
0: bad thing about hip hop anniversaries is it gets dominated by us record making cats.
3: He says when people think hip hop, they think the music making industry. He says if you look at it through that very narrow lens, you kind of exclude hip hop.
0: The best period in hip hop is the period before recorded rap. Because when it got recorded, it became the music business. Hip-hop to me had nothing to do with show business. It had nothing to do with selling records. So that's what's been pissing me off ever since I got in the game. The greatest that ever do it is those boys and girls that started this. The breakdancing, and the graffiti, those things are excluded from the conversation.
3: FYI, we will talk about all those initial elements of hip-hop, including graffiti and B-Boys and B-Girls. We will also talk about what happened later in the 70s, but that's going to be in the next episode. But as so much attention is on hip-hop, for some, it feels bittersweet.
1: Hip-hop made it possible for me to be able to get on the airplane and travel to London, Japan,
3: China. Hip-hop also made it possible for him to teach at Jam Master J's Scratch Academy. Theodore also helped with the Universal Hip Hop Museum. He's grateful for everything, but there are moments of frustration.
1: When I look at television, I see all of these different stations like, oh, we're celebrating 50 years of hip hop and they got all of these R&B people and actors and actresses and stuff like that saying, yeah, you know, we're celebrating 50 years of hip hop, but we're still here. Why can't We do some commercials, have Grammars of Theodore do a commercial. I'm still here. I'm still healthy, you know, (laughs) you know, it's like, you know, they're celebrating the 50 years, but they're not including the people that, you know, that made it what it is, that that birth hip hop. So that's one of the problems that I have.
3: This sentiment is understandable. If I were one of the OGs, I would feel a kind of way. I would have done all the work for someone else to get the prize. Ed says some of these legends need to at least start getting paid for it.
4: We, as OGs, give away our stories too much. And I implore every OG out there that has a
3: story, don't do it. Rich says he often has to educate people. What they think is anger from the older generation of MCs and DJs really isn't.
5: Hip-hop is one of those things that tell people. I say, you know, people go, well, why are they so angry? Why are they so bitter? I said, they're not bitter. And they're not angry, they're disappointed. They're disappointed that they helped create something unconsciously that became a billion dollar industry. And then everyone that says, I keep it real, never went back to them and said, let me do this for you. Let me assist you with this. Even if it's something as simple as, yo, you need some dental and medical. There's no reason why founding, founding forefathers of hip hop should have dental problems. Because they was out there carrying speakers and all that in the front line when some of us couldn't even come outside. And so now you guys got these big million dollar companies and you got a chain worth two hundred thousand dollars around your neck. But you tell them, dude, that helped create the culture. Yo, I love you, man. I love what you do. And he can't afford to be fresh no more because times change. So why wouldn't you say, you know what? Oh, gee, this is what I'm going to do. Why don't you just come and talk to the kids in my neighborhood and we are gonna get you a check to do that. This culture has made billionaires. And I'm not talking about handouts. I ain't talking about giving nobody money.
3: Rather, he just wants them to have some of the same opportunities they helped create for others. Thanks so much for listening. Beyond Black History Month, a hip hop May Takeover, is a special production of 1010 Wins, WCBS News Radio 880, and Odyssey. If you want to hear the rest of the series, hit that subscribe button and do it before you forget. And please rate and review our podcast. Thank you to John Davis and Noah Keynes, who helped with research. Special thanks to producers Dempsey Pilat and Jill Webb. And a massive, massive thank you to our audio engineer, Andy Egan Thorpe y'all he was so dedicated he pulled out vintage source magazines for inspiration (laughs) anyway i'm your host and managing producer of podcasts fami redwood thanks for listening
0: his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt and even after band camp he might not be the greatest musician